Welcome to the Redefining Ethics podcast hosted by Reflecting on Justice. Come join us as we deep dive and learn from our fellow therapists about what it means to live, practice, and redefine our ethics towards collective liberation. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Redefining Ethics podcast. Oh, I said that kind of weird, Redefining Ethics podcast. Today we have a lovely, lovely guest that I'm actually going to have Linda introduce because there's a really strong relationship there. So go ahead, Linda. Yeah, so we are inviting Shu onto this podcast. I, I've been wanting to get them on for quite a while now, ever since we started thinking about a podcast uh, between Abby and I. And Shu and I connected last year. I always kind of knew about Shu, like probably from different directories we've been on, mm-hmm. maybe in Healing Color, I believe. But I've seen their faces somewhere, like I, I just really wanted to reach out, but never got the chance. And they're actually, they're in my practice and um, they also have their own practice as well. And we're trying to build quote unquote an empire together. Um, <laughs> we were talking about that the other day um, of different anti-oppressive therapists and kind of from similar identity backgrounds as well, that bicultural piece that we both have. Um, yeah, but I was wondering if Shu there was anything you want to add on to that. Yes, thank you for that lovely intro. I'm, I feel very honored and very flattered. Exactly what you said, uh, and I've said this before, I feel like before we had actually sort of broke the silence, so to speak, and introduced ourselves to each other, uh, we have been aware of each other. Yeah. We've been like orbiting <laughs> each other's yes. uh, orbits if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And I was looking for community. I, I didn't know there was other Asian art therapists out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I found you, I was, you know, it felt right for me to introduce myself and uh, build a relationship. And a year after here we are, and we're working on some really cool and exciting um, radical stuff that I don't think, you know, that exist in very small pocketed spaces. Um, yeah. Yes. And I'm really excited to build this quote unquote empire. Although it sounds very colonial. <laughs> yeah. It's not build, supposed to be that way. <laughs> this empire to build a, hmm. a, yeah, it feels like that to shift the paradigm, I think yeah. is what I'm, yeah. what I'm hoping that we can do together, all of us. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Really happy to have you on finally. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. And I was also um, hoping to maybe get a little bit of an intro from you as well, who you are. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, I, my name is Shu. Uh, Well, my, my, full full name is Xuan so I'm Chinese I am 1.5 gen yes one and a half gen which means that I I immigrated here uh, a little bit older um, with my family when I was 12 years old so that would have been well got back in 99 mm-hmm. um so I have uh, 
I, I have the, you know, I have memories and experiences of, of growing up in China and I um, kind of developed and learned about who I am during my adolescenthood here in Canada. So I, I'm really bicultural <laughs> in that sense. Um, and mm. I, and that's a big part of my identity is the bicultural piece, you know, being a Chinese diaspora person. Um, and I think along in that bicultural piece is, you know, my identity with my gender. Um, I identify as non-binary, um, which I, I think for other folks, you know, it's not a monolith. I think a lot of non-binary folks have their own stories with it. For me, it's very much rooted in um, my cultural identity of like, you know, not really liking being assigned as a Chinese female, which has a totally different experience than, you know, any other female assigned in other cultures, for example. So yeah. my yeah. non-binary identity is an, is a challenge to uh, filial piety, <laughs> to, uh, yeah, uh, patriarchy, which is, yeah. you know, Chinese patriarchy, which is like it runs deep. a different types of a different brand of, you know, an, an intense brand of patriarchy. Um, yeah. So those are big uh, parts of my identity historically that I'm holding. A new part of my experience that I'm, you know, I'm sort of contending with is I'm, I'm a parent to a toddler because he's not a toddler now, he's four. <laughs> um <laughs> so parent being a parent has been this past four years uh you know significant in terms of how I identify in this world and move through the world as a non-binary bicultural person with a mixed race child <laughs> yeah. growing up in you know Canada and and uh living in a multi-generational home I live with my father wow. so there's a <laughs> yeah. a lot of pieces there about it's it, it's a lot of me reflecting on my identity all yeah. the time because yeah. it's it's also so collective right yeah. it's shaped by those I surround myself with um, yeah. and you know the more sort of straightforward stuff I'm a therapist. I'm an art therapist. I work with racialized trauma, um, family dynamics, uh, essentially folks who share similar intersections as me. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, uh, yeah, that's been very meaningful and um, healing for me. And I mm -hmm. think for my community as well. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's me in a nutshell. Mm. <laughs> my identities. Yes. Yeah. There's so much I want to comment here. I, and I think it would go hours and hours because we found out like a few months ago, Shu and I found out that we're like our ancestors are from the same area. Yeah. We're yes. from um, at least my grandma uh, from my mom's side is mm -hmm. from um, Yunnan, yeah. which is, um, yeah, a part of the province um, yeah. where you're also from yeah. and you're from a different city. Yeah, I'm from the capital yeah. of Yunnan. Yeah, and I'm from yeah. this like more, how would you describe it? More in the mountainous areas like Lijiang? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lijiang yeah. I would say is 
yeah like not non-metropolitan yes <laughs> yeah but very not you know of... yeah 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 very very much uh very much an important city but I think it's it's mm -hmm. because people travel there a lot yeah uh, yeah, yeah it's tourism for tourism yes yeah yeah yeah. Oh, I haven't visited that place yet, but I can imagine beautiful. how beautiful it is. It is um, absolutely beautiful. I've been yeah. I want to go oh, again. <laughs> it's it's so interesting. Every time you talk about your um, where you're from and that mm. Chinese cultural piece, mm -hmm. it feels so heartwarming for me Aww. because I I rarely get that um, you know get that sort of similar identity from this field, I think a lot of us struggle with finding folks who are mm -hmm. of similar identities. And it's just, yeah, yeah it, it feels like a miracle that we're connected <laughs> in this way. And yes. Yeah, during this journey when, um, yeah, I probably needed someone like you the most, mm. right? So... Oh really, goodness. really heartwarming. And also probably a lot of historical stuff coming up too. Mm -hmm. um, that energy showing up for mm -hmm. me when I talk to you. Mm. Um, yeah, there's definitely a lot here. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious, what would you say were some like um, life stuff that brought you into this field of work? And why do mm -hmm. you do the things you do? Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's see. Loaded uh, question there. Always, right? I mean, in yeah. therapy, every question's a loaded question. It's hard um, work, guys. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. It's uh I really like that question. I've been asked that um actually many times throughout my my work, my career. Mm -hmm. Um, and over the years I find that it's yeah, it really um, where I am now, I center my lived experience. Um, and I especially centered my lived experience of being a survivor, being a, um, child of a generation that had a really hard time having, you know, our emotions acknowledged, yeah. um, and, you know, and then culturally, generationally, I, for, you know, I really had to figure out myself that, hey, I have these feelings and I don't know what to do with them and mm. I'm miserable. <laughs> mm. So my lived experience has been one that um, required me for my own survival to be introspective, to cope, to yeah. rely on my resiliencies to get here. So yeah. I am a person that, um, like so many other folks who have experienced, I guess, this form of, you know, we call it trauma, right? Like developmental trauma, um, cultural trauma, what have you, um, mm. to, you know, we are our own healers in many ways. Mm. So I remember that was, that's always front and center. That was, you know, what showed up the most when I was uh, doing um, my art therapy training, all of my art was about my grandmother, was all about making art, was about where I center myself um, without me even consciously knowing that that's what 
I'm about. That's what centered me. So mm. it is about how I found this profession is because like, I just don't, can't imagine myself doing anything else. Um, know. You know, like I'm really inspired by that idea. Frida Kahlo, like, she, you know, people ask her, <clears throat> you know, she, she's known for painting herself, her self portraits. Mm -hmm. And she says, well, cause I'm the person I'm interested in the most or, or something like that. Um, and I just really identify with that. Um, yeah. I just, I, I just can't imagine <laughs> doing other things because this is something I've always been doing. And yeah. if I could help create a space for others to come to this place of healing and to, you know, emphasize their journey of their own healing, then that I feel like that's important. So, yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm also hearing like, yeah, just that survival work that's coming up for you. Yes. Whenever you think about therapy, quote unquote therapy, and mm -hmm. why you're passionate about doing this work, right? Yeah. And I think just to kind of expand on what I said, I, I think therapy, right? Like psychotherapy is a formalized and, you know, very um, Eurocentric idea of healing. Yeah. And it happens to just be the profession that has structures, right? Like you can make money doing therapy, mm -hmm. but healing mm -hmm. in all its iteration has always been around, has always ex existed. And I think I've deep down, I'm a healer, right? Ther therapist is the vocation. <laughs> it is my yes. occupation, yeah. but my, the, the way that I have tried to, um, kind of guide my work is from that place of you know the healer identity uh -huh. so huh. yeah so just uh, this this happens to be the vocation that fits yeah yes yeah I could see a little bit of myself in that too mm. I think yeah what what about you Abby when do you connect with any other words Oh, so much. It's really interesting hearing this theme of emerging, of removing the lines, like migration lines. I just listened to a, mm. um, a lecture on like not having borders and, and res resisting the state. Mm. And so that's kind mm. of the imagery that's in my mind right now of removing fences between what is and what isn't. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's so fascinating. But yeah, <laughs> and also brings up like, you know, part of what we what our conversation was before was blurring the lines between professional and personal, right? Yes. That, um, a lot of times we come into this work because of personal experiences, because we had to be our own healers, like you said, and mm -hmm. that's what makes us especially qualified yeah. for this, mm -hmm. this work, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So lots mm. of things swirling up and, and I'm listening to you speak about your um, Chinese roots. I'm mm -hmm. reflecting on where my family is from and how much, because um, I usually have the distinction of saying that I'm from Hong Kong, not from China, mm -hmm. to note mm -hmm. the the violence of colonization yeah. of that too. And yeah. a lot of my personal process has been like, <clears throat> how do I reclaim some of these roots? Because I don't know much about my history. Mm -hmm. A lot of my childhood growing up was white worship. Right. That's just the culture yeah. of Hong Kong. A lot of times it's white yeah. worship. 
So yeah. um, mm -hmm. what does it mean to get to know our ancestries in different ways and build on that yeah. even understanding of spirituality? Right. What is spirituality yeah. from our ancestral knowing and and understanding in that way? So lots of things just swirling as you're speaking and really mm. grateful that you're here. Lots <laughs> Thank of generative you. ideas swirling. Mm. So tell us a little bit more about your story of radicalization. Mm. Yes. Oh, I love that word. It is such a juicy word. <laughs> uh, I. You know, in. So as a kid, and I'm sure all of us sitting here are, can identify, you know, you just have that feeling like you don't quite belong or, or things just don't, you know, it, things don't really fit. And I've had that all through my, my childhood. Um, and it, I, I don't think it's a, you know, uniquely to me sort of an experience. I think every single person, right, because we know the structure that forces us to belong are actually quite violent or oppressive. You know, it's patriarchy, mm -hmm. it's white supremacy, it's um, colonialism, it's what, what have you, right? I call them the axis of evil. Um, <laughs> so I was aware from a very young age that this is not what I want, you know, this is not, you know, what I'm being told how I should move through the world isn't something that is okay with me. Yeah. So as a kid, and I think every children, every child is a radical being. Like I look mm -hmm. in my four-year-old and he is radical. And mm -hmm. what I'm doing as a parent is to um, support and nourish that part of him instead of, you know, what I received and maybe a lot of us received was to get, you know, get that beaten out of us, right? Like we had to just submit in some ways. Um, and a part of that was for our own protection and, and survival. So I did, I did have to do a lot of that. Um, and so it was, you know, it became this experience. Radicalization was something, you know, it, you know, I think about radicalization as an as an act or practice or way of being to go against the whatever, right? And so mm. it is, it is for me, like it, there's a place for me that I know deep, deep down that this is not what I want. And depending on the situation, I may have to submit, right? And, mm. or I might have to placate and play the part, but I will never forget that deep down, this is not what I want so it's radicalization has been a process of remembering my truths right and um consistently finding ways to center my truths so I can feel joy like deep joy I was actually mm -hmm. watching a documentary last night about about joy uh and and you know joy being defined as um moments when you can center your truths Wow. So that's, you know, from a child, you know, from my childhood, I remember really vividly those moments where I had to really solidify in my truth, just in a very, very private way. Nobody knew this was what was going on. <clears throat> as a kid, I couldn't really name it as that, right? I just, I just remember having thoughts like, when I grow up, I'm never going to do that. <laughs> and till this day, it rings true. And it was infuriating to me that adults used to say, 
when you get older, you understand. And you know, I'm an adult now. I'm 30. I just turned 36. I'm like, you know what? I still don't understand. <laughs> and I still I refuse to actually submit and and gaslight myself into submitting and understanding. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm glad, I'm really grateful for that. Um, so radicalization once again it starts started for me from a place of you know honoring my inner knowing mm-hmm. um and I think I was privileged um you know it's a it's a double-edged sword I was privileged to actually not having too much adults around me to constantly uh you know kind of whittle me down to a nub right like I was actually a really unsupervised kid I just did whatever and I, you know, I was kept safe, right? Like some people like, oh, you know, some people be like, oh, well, that's not, I, actually, I'm a kind, of, kind of grateful I had that opportunity mm-hmm. to kind of just be on my own. And um, one of the biggest, I think, nourishing experiences that I had that's, that, you know, supported my radicalizing part is, is making art with my grandmother, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so that's that's my journey. And I'm still, I would say, a radical person. I don't know how many, <laughs> there's been many, you know, overtly radical moves I've made. You know, I've started a union when I was 20-something year old at this job that was just horrible. I have been, uh, I'm always the one to kind of speak up at a workplace when there's some messed up stuff going on and and my radicalizing self has flipped the table many a times (laughs) I I rock the boat (laughs) and unapologetically so uh it and again this journey of now really coming to embrace that part of me um whereas throughout throughout you know my early adulthood when I was doing that um really having strong beliefs and going for it um, was a source of shame and embarrassment because everybody else will be looking at them and be like, why do you do that? Why are you so angry? Mm. Why do you make things hard for yourself and other people? Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> right? Like it was Stop right my there. fault. <laughs> I know what that, oh. Right? Why do you do that? It's like, I'm yeah. so, it's so rude or mean, right? I've called so many of, I've been called those names so many times. Wow. When you talked about radicalization, what comes up for me is also this um, idea, like my, my train of thought just went into how in Asian cultures, a lot of the times we don't mm. have the words for boundaries. Yes. what is that what is that like (laughs) you're not allowed to do that that's not honorable um and just like the idea of sacrificial love versus Mm. what's real care what's real love towards yourself and the other person involved Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. I love that you were able to preserve yourself while mm. rocking the boat that wasn't like conducive <laughs> towards your being yeah um and that took that must have taken like years for you mm. as you were growing mm. and mm. gaining more of that knowledge and quote-unquote power in these mm. spaces to do right 
Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's it's it is labor, and you know the nuanced part about coming from a culture that really, you know, um, it, I, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's it is it 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 is a you know sometimes can be a toxic part, right? Like this hyper collectivist <laughs> value, you know because I, yeah. I think about it in terms of like, because um, hyper-individuality, we know how toxic it can be, right? To development people. And, and then on the other side of the spectrum, hyper-collectivist, right? Yeah. Which is exactly what you said, like seeing boundaries as almost like a negative thing and feeling deep shame when we know that we're not okay with something, but we have to do it because mm. it's what is expected of us and we don't mm. want to rock the boat, right? We're mm. and as Asian people and, you know, especially as Asian folks who are assigned female at birth, we are extra, you know, we bear extra burden to be uh, gracious, to be agreeable, right? That's so baked in as uh, part of how you ought to be within a culture uh, that is all about, you know, kind of keeping keeping up appearances and keeping up with it you know everybody else wants it's mm. part of the collectivism that I had the most trouble with growing up and I think a lot of us have growing mm. up um and the nuance part about you know now I'm trying to explore you know what does boundary actually look like in an Asian context and I don't think it is what we think yeah. about, you know, these Western terms, I think boundary in Asian context is a lot of what we've been doing, like saying no by saying yes, for example, right? Or just like saying something to someone to save their face, save your face, but then, mm -hmm. but then, you know, um, not necessarily meaning, mean that, right? Yeah. Which is like what I talk it's about so in a way, it sounds yeah, it sounds horrible. Like it is, but it is a culture where communication is very nuanced. You don't say mm. what you mean, mm. but you do everything to, you know, preserve face to, to you know, mm. not embarrass others. And you kind of keep up um, a certain appearance, right? And that's what yeah. part of the collectivist culture uh, that's, that's, you know, essential part. So yeah. Um, radicalization, I think for me in a cultural context also is about how do we bring some of those nuances, right? Because radicalization in a Western context means, you know, you, you say what's on your mind, right? You give them a piece of your mind, but in the Asian culture setting, it really isn't, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, in it, in some ways it is, um, it is rooted in certain supremacies about how one type of boundary settings better than others and really mm -hmm. isn't it's it's yeah it's a lot more fluid um yeah. so for me finding radicalization is has been sort of like a full circle journey like you know I started here mm -hmm. with like I just need to say what's on my mind and then over time like well that doesn't really work sometimes it ends up being really harming oh, relationships harmful. that I do actually care about and then I now come to this point of like yeah sometimes radicalization and and you know living my truth requires at moments um silence right it requires at mm. moments just saying less is more um yeah. right it's not always this overt thing um yeah. and yeah I think that's also 
you know, how we approach all complex issues in mm-hmm. this world, mm-hmm. right? We dip in and out of, um, yeah, we dip in and out depending on the context mm-hmm. and uh, giving ourselves that permission to do it without feeling guilty or ashamed mm-hmm. is pretty radical as well. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. I love how sensitive this topic around boundaries and radicalization can be. Um how you have to really twist and turn in those very confined spaces (laughs) (laughs) to get to somewhere. And it sounds wild and daunting for maybe some Western folks um, who don't really know the culture. Mm -hmm. Um, But but yeah, this is, this is how we live. This is survival. It It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder like, who holds you up in this work when you're thinking about rocking the boat or um, staying true to yourself? Is there anyone that comes to mind? Yes. Anything? Uh, every, really everyone that I have a, uh, that I have a valuable relationship with that I, um, I, I don't think I could do this work without the presence and the direct and indirect support of people who also believe and share these values, right? You you folks are part of my sort of support team. And I I also really love this concept of, I have a spiritual ancestral team here as well. I may have never met them, right? Uh, And I'm slowly reclaiming my relationship with them, but there, there's something that feels very true, ancestrally true and honest about um, about kind of upholding these values. And when I think about that piece, I can't help but you know also think about what kind of a world do I want to be a part of? Uh, do I want my child to be a part of? Right? He is mixed race. And he lives in a, a multi-generational house with a grandfather, with, with Gong Gong. Yeah. So um, I think about him. I think about modeling um, modeling this way of being for him, right? That to help him develop that nuance and um, to help him stay grounded in his own truth and also know um, at times he's allowed to you know, for his own safety or comfort or whatever, he's allowed to just take a back seat, right? He doesn't always have to be the one to forge ahead or to be the one speaking out or whatever. And so these are, so yeah, everyone in my life um, are crucial, right? Mm-hmm. My community, yeah, my collective of people are crucial to supporting me here and yeah Mm. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're holding space for everyone that came across you and that are still in your life life today Mm. seems Mm -hmm. like yeah there's a lot of repair sounds like too Mm -hmm. that you want to go forth with these relationships um, whether Mm. it's your ancestry or you know culture as well yeah it really is 
you know, I always talk about this with clients who come into my space to do similar work, um, who are in this really seemingly on the surface contradicting place of, I want to have, I want, I want to honor my ancestry. I want to honor my culture. Also, a large part of my connection to my culture is through my parents. And these are people who have hurt me. Yeah. Right. And yeah. that, that really, really painful and lonely place and, and, but important and essential and valuable role of being the cycle breaker, right. Being the person in our lineage, the first and only first one, but hopefully not the only one, but first one to say this violence ends here. It stops mm -hmm. with me and to single-handedly, you know, sort of shift the a lineage of violence, a lineage of not examining power and mm -hmm. also preserving um, some of the wisdom that our ancestors, which includes our parents, right? Ancestors hold. And yes, it is an extremely difficult balancing act and it is full of nuances, full of contradictions and it's messy stuff. I don't, right? There are moments where we could get quite, quite heady with it, right? For example, just, you know, living with my dad this past four, uh, yeah, four years basically since Ziggy's born, my child's born. Um, I made a conscious effort to include my father in my life for my child because I want to have an intergenerational um, environment. Mm -hmm. Um, because I know for myself, because of, you know, my lived trauma, there are lots of, you know, very internalized racist stuff that I have that I need help actually from my father to unpack. Yeah. And where I find myself is this really sometimes lonely and sometimes, you know, but so it, at the same time, really valuable place of, um, I can be the conduit, right. Mm. And, and seeing my father having moments of tenderness with my child is so healing for me. And it actually is an opportunity for me to rewrite some of my stories as a child um, with my father in a very indirect, in a, you know, intergenerational way. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So I think about, um, I think when we're talking about radicalization and, you know, Linda, you brought up healing and this is, yeah, it's almost, healing is not individualistic, right? It yeah. is impossible to heal. No. We need to heal as a, you know, collective and, and there, when it comes to family healing, it is intergenerational. So the work of, um, yeah, just, I don't know, the word keeps coming up, just not, not, you know, continue to do the work and not just close that off as, this is hurtful and I never want to visit that part. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. yeah. And Room then you can imagine, yeah, you can imagine how hard it is as well when, you know, cause hurtful shit still happens sometimes <laughs> with my dad and I'm like, Oh, okay. That's that piece. I know what that is. Um, I'm being really gentle with myself and, and my child and being the one to, yeah, to kind of, help my child understand and you know actually showing up for him the ways that I wish 
an adult would show would have shown up for me so mm. yeah I get a redo in some ways and you know and I get to repair my relationship with my father it's a lot it's a mm-hmm. lot in those in that just in these three generations mm-hmm. yeah wow so when are you starting your own podcast? Because I can listen to you talk all day. Right? <laughs> right? Oh my goodness. Oh. <laughs> I'm just sitting here taking it all in right yeah. now. It's like, oh. oh. It's hitting close to home. Right? Yeah. Maybe yeah. I should, maybe, maybe I could. Maybe oh. I could start a podcast and me just talking for an mm-hmm. hour straight. <laughs> bouncing to all kinds of places. <laughs> totally. Oh. I would totally listen to that. Oh, that's awesome. yeah. thank you. That's, I appreciate that. Thanks for that feedback. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that would be a spinoff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Reflecting on justice and it'd be like <laughs> reflecting on further justice. More reflections. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. I'm hearing so much connection you know, in the way that you're speaking, like connection with self, connection with others, connection with mm. past and future and mm-hmm. how all of that kind of integrates with healing um, yeah. and the complexities of everything, right? Because like, as you said, sometimes nuance is care, sometimes yes. saving face and um, being aware of all the other harms that can come with directness that is care, but mm. it's not necessarily care that is uh, prioritized Um, in the context that we exist in now Um, and in a lot of like the psychological stuff that we learn in school as well right like I always cringe when anybody brings up psychoeducation because it's like (laughs) what are we using our power for what are we perpetuating with that like what's happening here and so um, yeah just just so much connection and so much nuance and everything that you're bringing up connectivity is is fascinating i'm building mind maps in my head uh, so thank you for sharing all of that thank you i often feel like i'm you know i'm working like a circuit board and i'm like ah this and that and that everything's lit up which is yeah it's almost hard to yeah which i find and these are the spaces where i i find that art is um art helps hold those complexities better words right are are kind of uh too i can only say one thing at a time whereas art can have be more holistic yeah yeah oh, it paints a different picture think. like literally right right yeah. right yeah. you start to see it yeah and you can make response art as well from mm-hmm. your original art and it could become a series it could just bring mm-hmm. up so much so many Mm -hmm. different paths we never thought was possible Mm -hmm. when we think about reflecting on justice we also think about redefining ethics so Mm. i'm curious we're curious what has it been like for you Mm. to redefine ethics in your life in your practice yeah uh it's it's it has to and it has been happening in parallel to my development of identity, my development of my values, you know, uh, values, which are, are not separate, right? Just like, I don't have a different set of value in my work versus, you know, my personal life. It's the same set of values. And the ethics, I guess, like, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of praxis, right? Like the feminist term, the praxis, the feminist praxis, where your values and your practice are in line. And how do you uh, continue to be um, yeah, how I move through the world in that way. Um, yeah. 
it's not a separate thing. So ethics of care, right? And a lot of what I just talked about, Nappy highlighted, you know, the relationship and the connectivity is a big part of ethics of care, um, which is the, you know, feminist um, idea, uh, ideal that we are supposed to be, we are interdependent people um, and caring for relationships, caring for ourselves, each other, our, our, you know, relationship with animal companions and the land is all essential part of being a, you know, you know, good person, right? Like I put that in air quotes, but like that is goodness to me. Mm. So my ethics are, are my praxis, which is deep care and honoring of, uh, of humans, of people as they are, you know, I, it's so funny. Sometimes I think about like, what is so radical about caring for human beings? I don't feel like that is <laughs> like hum, human rights. Isn't like a political issue. It shouldn't be right. Like yeah. it's, that's not very radical. Like that is, that is right in the context of where we are today. It's, I, it becomes a radical thing. Like you have to earn, mm-hmm. you have to care about human rights. Like it just mm-hmm. seems Hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah the image that came up just now I'm just laughing at it it's like you know on LinkedIn when they have um I don't know if any of you use LinkedIn but they have like tags on Mm. what you what you stand for and there's like human rights and (laughs) like children's rights and I'm like it's not like something we all should be yeah shouldn't we be yeah Yeah, like why is that when did that become optional, right? Like what? Wow. Yeah. Right. When did that become optional? And yeah, Yeah. I think it's the, in the context of colonialism, white supremacy, and just, you know, Mm. these forms of violence and oppression. Yes, it is optional. It is a tag. Now you choose. It is now something you actually actively have to center your praxis on Mm. that you care and don't want to hurt people and and mm-hmm. animals and the plant like yeah yeah <laughs> it's so... wild but that's how lost where we are from these systems yeah um, really yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm hearing it's like redefining ethics is also sounding like it's redirecting you back on path like yes hey. yeah it is redirecting me and it's mm-hmm. it, it is um it is the process of, yeah, kind of reclaiming my humanness. Yeah. Right. That I am human that I, I, right. Like it's, uh, you know, uh, not debatable and so are other people. Mm. So yeah, it's back to the basics, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Back to me. Maybe that could be the title for this episode. Back to basics. I will make a note of that. (laughs) Back to basics. Yeah. Literally. This this person is problematic. This comedian is problematic, but he had a joke about um, how, you know, like if if God or whatever the creator were to come to the land and see where we are today, and 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 this creator would be like, what what the hell's going on? It's like, oh, but we need food. Food, food is everywhere. Why did you, 
you know, like, it's just like, what happened? Yeah, but we need to make money. Money? Who needs that? Why would you need that? I gave you everything. You literally have everything that you need to live happily and 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 coexist with everyone and like I but then you build these structures and what is happening so it just reminds me of that joke and yeah yeah it's wild it's so funny you bring that up because at the beginning of of when you were talking about what radicalization means to you and that's like honoring and centering joy I was mm. thinking about okay that's really cool I've never thought about joy radicalization in that way or honoring centering truths Mm -hmm. and then i started thinking about what do we associate joy with Mm. we now associate joy with capitalism like (laughs) vacation stuff and yeah getting to do things that we pay for and there's just something so you know coming back to the theme of back to basics like Mm. something so mind-boggling about that Mm -hmm. that when we were in the hunter-gatherer stages of civilization, we actually had a lot more connection. Mm-hmm. We actually had a lot more um, sustainability and a lot more fulfillment. Mm-hmm. What did we do all of this for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It seems yeah. like, oh, when I think about capitalism, there's like no cap to <laughs> capitalism. Like yeah, you'll, never, you'll never be happy. No. Like I... No. I have friends who are in the tech industry and they get paid quite a lot, right? Um, they're not happy. Yeah. I, I talk to so many folks um, and yeah, I guess growing up here as a uh, Chinese Canadian, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of friends who are from different uh, class classes, social classes. And I have a few like rich folks out there. They're dealing with their own problems too. So, yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel like there's a cap to the joy for. Yeah. Hey, does Elon Musk act like a person that is happy? (laughs) No. Let's just take a look, right? Does Jeff Bezos seem seem like a happy person? No. The way that he Mm. treats other human beings, right? Um, It it really is a reflection that, you know, this is the, you know, counselor part of me like how you treat other folks is a reflection of your own shadows of how you treat yourself um right and I all we need to do is just look at these rich people and how they're treating the relationships around them like wow you hate yourself (laughs) there's a a fundamental lack of humanness right Mm -hmm. of you yeah how can that does not feel joyous to me right? That is, um, is really scary to see, <laughs> to see people like that out there. And they're in the, you know, front and center of um, our media. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's what capitalism gets you. If that, you know, for me, it's always like, if that's what capitalism gets me, I don't want it. No, yeah, thanks. no thanks. <laughs> Hard pass. <laughs> I'll be yeah. honestly, I'm I'm good with just like a croissant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with that. yes. I, I'll be happy with that croissant I'm, that I have. I'm happy with that. Yes. Yeah. Likewise. Yeah. I just need just just the basic stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some soup. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a really interesting question mm. that I'd love to get your take on. What mm. have been some of 
your most nourishing mistakes that you've made Mm. in your journey? Yes, I love this question so much because I I am still, right, uh, I sometimes struggle with that, making mistakes. And I have been on a journey um, of, of allowing myself to make mistakes and humanizing, continue to honor my humanity in these moments of mistakes because oftentimes and this is cultural as well when we make mistakes there's deep shame that comes up right when you make mistakes within a cultural context within a collectivist context it means you have also fucked other people up too right like it is a heavy burden um that mistakes can comes with and at the same time, it is also so human to make mistakes, right? And mistakes, I think, you know, I want to talk a bit about this as well as a uh, justice-oriented person in some spaces, mistakes are harms, right? And like, we are, the last thing we want to do is to be a harmful person to be, right? Mm -hmm. I want, so it's, making mistakes some of the most nourishing ones actually is sort of the the process of me finding ways of um continuing to humanize myself in the face of mistakes some of my most nourishing mistakes are oh my gosh yeah I can't think of exactly the ones uh you know off the top of my head I think that's because um that's because I I have kind of integrated that as part of my learning Mm. which is which is kind of hopefully that answers that question (laughs) like all of them all of the mistakes that I've made some of them big some of them small um I guess, I guess the one that I could talk about and not a specific mistake, but just like a part of my identity that forces me to continue to confront my mistakes and finding ways of repair, which is my relationship with my child. Oh man, nobody told me that being a parent means you're going to be fucking up all the time, constantly. Uh It is just a part of parenting because it doesn't come with a manual um it is so idealized so kind of there's a narrative about parenting that we all get influenced whether or not you are a parent we have this idea of this is how it's supposed to be done and then you add this sort of extra layer of complexity as a healer and a therapist like I should know how this is done. I have more oh. resources than other folks, right? So my oh, expectations no. for myself became even higher. Um, you know, I, so I, in some ways, indirectly was making a narrative in my head where I was not allowed to make mistakes as a parent, uh, right? I should know better. Mm-hmm. I'm a therapist. I work with children. I work with human beings. I am a cycle breaker, so definitely can't mess up because if I mess up, that means I'm just as violent as say the people have hurt me, right? Putting myself in those black and white ways made it impossible for me to humanize myself 
when I make mistakes. So this past four years has been a lot of making mistakes. So some of the most nourishing ones, of course, are the ones where I have a human moment with my child. I raise my voice and the deep shame that comes Mm. with that. Mm. And immediately I can feel how much I, how I want to abandon myself in those moments of shame. And, and then thankfully every time when I go through that process, I can, I'm still tethered to a part of me that I, you know, have been um, honoring all my life is this part of humanness, right? My, my truth. Mm. Um, So I kind of reel myself back in and say, take a deep breath. That was a mistake. And now how do I want to approach that mistake? How do I want to take accountability, which is something that I, I, I really needed when I was a child, just for adults to come and apologize when they harmed you. So now I apologize. I go to my child and I say, I'll do better. Mm. And that is, you know, occurring on, um, you know, pretty regularly. Right. And I really do take it. And then, you know, on the back end, I am doing the part where, you know, cause I'm not just apologizing, say I'll do better and then nothing changes. Right. Like I am actively, um, focusing on my own well-being and you know I'm I'm because it is goes back to the collective care part I need to take care of myself I need to take care of my humanness so that I can hold space for my child's humanness and then when I say I'm going to do better I'm actually doing the work of doing better you know um how am I regulating myself um so that I don't, I have less of this kind of raising my voice and using my power uh, to make him submit to me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the mistakes and it takes, it takes this process, really internal and private process of kind of forcing myself to sit with those feelings, um, finding some ways of heathering myself and mm-hmm. That, that part of, you know, coming back to, to rehumanize myself is, is a crucial part of that process. Mm. So mistakes, you know, and normalizing mistakes, right? Normalizing mistakes for myself, for my child, for everyone around me, because shame has never, ever <laughs> been a motivating fact, despite what Chinese people say, right? Yeah. <laughs> shame and guilt, you use that to motivate people. No, no, no. No. It has not. Um, it is actually the rehumanization after feelings of shame and guilt, mm-hmm. right? How do you come back to your human self to feel like you have the power to take accountability and make changes? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that um, phrase you used. Um, I, I'll do better. Yeah. It can just be as simple as that, but it's so nourishing when you even said that and I could see myself applying to so many other areas whether Mm -hmm. it's as a partner as a therapist as a friend Mm -hmm. yeah Mm, and yeah yeah getting (laughs) to the basics and the roots of I'll do better not just like obviously just saying it but yeah there's so much power in Mm -hmm. that phrase as well so much acknowledgement 
and mm. humanness that you're not only rehumanizing yourself but also that other person who's bringing up the issue or was absolutely. affected by it yeah. absolutely um when you when you say that linda it reminds me of some of the things that uh i have noticed this connection with shame and um you know, especially in the Asian context, like shame being like kind of this crippling thing, right? Almost something that we, I don't know, as a culture, like we kind of like immediately go there. We do it yeah. so much. And this, yeah. this sort of like point of no return, like you did this, you're sentenced for life and you need to suffer in shame for all of eternity. Mm. Um, and how, um, you know, how that is so similar to this, like, carceral mindset mm -hmm. that we have in in white supremacy right yeah. you make a mistake and you are punished yeah right you're incarcerated and I am an anti-carceral therapist I do not believe in punishment and so when I think about mistakes and and how mistakes are conflated in our culture with you know um an irreparable, you know, unforgivable act. Mm. I think about how we, when we see someone like that, when we have deemed someone who have made a mistake that is a crime or, or that is an irreparable act, we dehumanize them, yeah. right? And I know for me that when we dehumanize, you know, when I dehumanize myself and other people, then what is the point of repair? Then we no nobody will be doing repair. Oh, and that yeah. is so that goes against everything that I stand for and live by. Um, yeah, so mistakes are mistakes, right? And seeing them as such, and they are not, you know, crimes and these <laughs> these these things that we hold over people or ourselves to punish ourselves and to, to force ourselves to sit forever in that shame. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Never thought we would go into shame, but yeah, <laughs> I think there's so much um, shame that comes up with making mistakes that people talk about, but really like with that cultural piece in the back as well and mm -hmm. um intergenerational ancestral piece um that shame is deeply rooted and it's very hard mm -hmm. to call out yeah um, yeah, yeah. It, it also reminds me how like if when I make mistakes um whether it's in my practice or on my own um it's immobilizing that shame is immobilizing for me. So sometimes I freeze up. I can mm. see myself kind of withering away, like, oh, I don't like this space. Like, mm. uh, how do I approach this? I can't okay, remember. So anything. shrinking. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is something that like I'm trying to hold up in my work as well. It's mm. so hard, right? To humanize. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah. Oh, I love <laughs> that you bring the idea of shame with anti-carceral practice. Like, I think mm. it's, it's just such a um, salient connection to build about how dehumanization actually just rips mm -hmm. out anything 
like it's just not effective right that's the yeah like, it just doesn't yeah. work why would it you doesn't... repair if you're going to get punished you, you can't take mm. accountability with that yeah. and also it severs any connection that ties us together that makes us want to i don't want to mm. use the words be better because there's mm -hmm. so much like capitalism tied to towards that but like mm -hmm. to have care take up more space in what yeah. motivates us right yeah. like incarceration doesn't ever do anything like no. that it just perpetuates exploitation you dehumanize yeah. so you can exploit others for gain right and that in mm. itself builds on hierarchy and just yeah my brain is just going off in all different directions <laughs> but basic. i wanted to yeah totally back to basics mm -hmm. right like what is the purpose of not to open up another can of worms, but what is the purpose of living? Is the purpose of living to dominate and to dehumanize or is mm. the purpose of living to find connection? And mm -hmm. tying that back to, to therapy, so many of our clients, and I don't know if, if you have this experience, is searching for connection. Yeah. Relation, regardless of whether or not you are a relationship counselor, you are counseling issues about relationship because yeah. that's all that ever really matters to anybody who is seeking healing. And yet all of these systems around us are set up to make that impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't have a point. I'm just talking and like <laughs> going off and like, that oh my is gosh, the like point. all these things, you know? Like <laughs> that is the point. It's so embedded in everything. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah, everywhere I turn, when there's, you know, a, any glaring issue uh, that is prevalent, right in in our society you know it's like mm, I have a feeling it's white supremacy at play here right I have a feeling it's capitalism at play here and it always has led me to that right mm -hmm. in this situation is like you know shame you know what is that about you know what what where are we in our world our society where are we seeing shame normalized right people mm -hmm. defend the prison system Mm -hmm. right people really really like believe and I and I get it right like people really believe yeah people who did bad things need to be punished yeah, right as a way yeah as a way of I don't know a retribution I guess like anyway so mm. you know that's it's it kind of is sort of all connected to the <laughs> to the system of, of oppression you know all a lot of our suffering right yeah Totally. Yeah. It also reminds me of this idea. So part of what I've been kind of personally thinking about is the idea of reclaiming shame and not mm. necessarily reclaiming shame as a tactic or a tool to dehumanize and oppress others, mm -hmm. but reclaiming shame in that shame is not something that's bigger than us because of this cultural context that you you bring up around asian cultures and and experiencing mm -hmm. that shame is worse than death of like mm -hmm. taking that back of like feeling shame is actually not necessarily mm -hmm. worse than death like i can i can have some kind of relationship mm -hmm. with my shame and still use mm -hmm. it in a productive way Mm -hmm. um again no point to this i'm just thinking about it yeah. but like <laughs> it's just this conversation is is sparking mm -hmm. up so much of this um idea of of how we understand shame and the function of shame and whether or not mm -hmm. there's spaces to mm -hmm. pivot and expand and and mm -hmm. add in more complexities and nuances in that absolutely i love that i think when we think about culturally bound shame asian shame 
and how we have clearly existed and, you know, in some ways thrived for thousands of years based on some, you know, cultural shame. <laughs> like something about shame certainly serves a purpose, right? right? And it is a very different kind of shame from, I think, what Brene Brown talks about, the toxic shame, right? Like yeah. the thing that incapacitates you. Um, yeah. In the Asian context, I have noticed, right, like shame for, it can't be a motivating factor, right? And I think it is actually connected to our collectivist value of, um, it's important to me, so important to me to not let others down, mm. right? That it is That's not a, right? It's not an yeah. it hyper-individualistic sort of shame, like it's yeah. all about me and yeah. that, but it's this sort of, um, almost our our uh, responsibility to others yeah. right there is um there is that because shame I think about in a collectivist culture is often tied with like um with others right it is mm -hmm. I'm I you know I brought shame upon my family right like shame and honor uh, is very familial and relational mm -hmm. so I think that yeah, some, you know, that is very different from this very hyper individualized place of myself, like this self-hatred shame, right? Toxic mm. shame. So it's very nuanced. And I'm really interested to see if we were to do a deep dive into cultural shame within, you know, or shame-based cultures, like, you know, uh, what, what the difference is and how does collectivism play a role in that? How does um, mm. ethics of care play a role in that mm. yeah Oof. I don't even want to go on to the next question <laughs> just talk about shame all the time there. constantly yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a fun topic <laughs> yeah I think there's mm -hmm. such a needed conversation about this um, mm -hmm. and I, I hope whoever's listening that you get to talk to your friends and colleagues about your journey with shame and your relationship with shame. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, this is so needed. Mm -hmm. yeah. The topic for your first podcast, Shu. <laughs> shame, I love it. <laughs> yeah, well, if we were to leave um, that question and move on, mm -hmm. uh, what do you think is the hardest part of this journey for you? And how have you been supported to staying in it? Yes, thank you. That's, I love that question. The hardest part. I mean, so many parts are hard. Yeah. <laughs> we know that. Uh, the hardest part is um, is this, is this a, uh, kind of, again, interconnected place where having patience and being persistent, right? So the the work, you know, the, not necessarily the work, but the, the practice, like I was saying before, as a child, I remember, and I have managed to find ways to continue to stay tethered to my, you know, radicalness or my, my truth. And then in the, and then in doing this work that sometimes could, um, you know, I go through situations where I, I doubt myself, right? I doubt my truth. Yeah. And how do I come back to that and staying tethered, which requires 
a tremendous amount of um, tenacity, you know, this a different mm-hmm. type of tenacity, right? That it's just like, how do I continue to honor and hold my truth within mm-hmm. myself? And also knowing that, and, and because truth also change, right? Like truth become more multi-layered and nuanced. And um, so staying with that and changing and growing with that place. And that's the hardest part. And the other, and then because this requires a tremendous amount of patience, mm-hmm. right? To be patient. Yeah. This in the face of ever changing truth, like for me, right? Like, yeah. And I know this is also this time being like linear, like healing has to happen in this lifetime in this linear way is completely out the window, right? Because I can see the healing, this in specifically, I'm talking about the intergenerational healing that I'm doing. I started it, right? So there's no way I can finish it. My child is going to carry on the torch, yeah. right? So it is, and it is this patience and mm, kind of, you know, decentering myself as the only person that has mm. to do it all in this lifetime and passing the torch, that's really hard, right? To kind yeah. of, I'm like, I'm not even going to be around for like, it could get to the point where I have in my mind, um, you know, I would like to see the world to be in that place, right? I'm not going to be around for that. So to believe that and to be a proponent of that journey um, mm. is the hardest part because um, I don't know, yeah. right? But I continue to hope Um and I continue to invest in it. Yeah. yeah. Mm, I don't know why, but the movie, everything, everywhere, all at <gasps> once just popped up in my I mind. I cried like a baby. Yeah, me movie. too. Me too. <laughs> yeah. I think it's yeah. like that imagery of like different parallels in the universe and mm. this like this idea of like, I want this lifetime to be like this yeah and this is how I can get there but it's going to be you crossing all Mm. sorts of universes and it feels like a lifetime um like a Mm. lifelong journey right yeah very very messy and yeah yeah wild it is through I love that. That that movie resonates with me so much. First of all, I'm a big, big old nerd. So I love any multiverse time traveling stuff. Okay. And I think part of the reason why I love it is because intergenerational healing feels like time traveling. It does. It feels like it's time traveling. It's a big metaphor for it really is. It feels trauma. like that. I I yeah, right. It is. Um Sometimes when I get angry with my child, I sound like my father, right? I take on a human from a different generation, right? Sometimes when I'm really tender with my child, I remind myself of my grandmother, right? When I make art with him, right? I am transcending, you know, time and space in that way, these really small in these in- interactions, right, that this context has kind of evoked in me. Yeah, so it is, it, it, it is 
intergenerational it is time you know like it, <laughs> time is not linear it really isn't right I think about this because I like I was saying I'm a big nerd right like what would it be like to um have VR experiences right mm. that people can can you know almost role play as different parts you know different people from their family and lineage and yeah, and yeah that would be you know yeah it's pretty cool <laughs> totally yeah. that almost reminds me of like um Travis he thought talks about this like letter writing to somebody that you're ancestrally connected with and mm. to almost import your knowing of them as a support um mm. how cool that would be if there was like a VR component where you can immerse yourself because so much of this is because that's still a very cognitive process right so yeah. like to experience that in a bodily yeah. way to connect with ancestry in such a bodily mm -hmm. way that's mm -hmm. we should get on that <laughs> let's patent this technology vr intergenerational healing yes that's so cool <laughs> i would totally sign up for that service yeah <laughs> that yeah. offering oh and i guess what are some pieces of living justice that you hold most dear if you were mm. to think i hold most dear uh living mm. yeah you know i once again I go back to the relationship um the the relationship of holding my humanity my humanness really dear to me because it is from always from this place where I am deeply connected to others and others humanness um and you know the intergenerational piece of you know I hold very dear to me my my relationship with my child and you know not not just like you know oh because I reproduced you right but like this is he is part of this movement forward to mm -hmm. a world to a better world right like the mm -hmm. world that I think we all want to create and have been are moving to create so he's yeah he is part of this um everything is a part of this so yeah it's hard to encapsulate it with words like we have identified it just goes all over the place <laughs> yeah 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 the relationship the interconnectivity with everything mm -hmm. um and to hold space for all of it Right. All the messy things, all the things that all the parts that I also recognize that I cannot, you know, it's too heavy for me to hold in this lifetime, hopefully won't be so difficult for the future generations. Mm. So that's that that's the part of my practice, my way of being that I really hold dear to me is is um, accepting myself where I am in this iteration in this beginning stages of healing yeah um yeah mm. and last question mm. what are some tips or lessons that you would like to pass on to other <laughs> therapists as if this whole thing wasn't yeah yeah like, tips <laughs> and oh my goodness oh. uh don't work so much <laughs> okay Tips. Yes. So I am a 
true believer in you are you are your most important client. As a therapist, as a healer, as a person that is the conduit, the space holder for everyone's healing, your own healing has to be progressing alongside of, you know, your client's healing, right? Mm -hmm. You are, and you will always be your most important client. Please invest in yourself, invest in your healing, invest in any experiences that you may come across um, that you feel like needs further holding and exploration. Please do not ever turn your back on yourself. <laughs> and the other tip is forget about what you learned in school and just <laughs> go back to the basics of how you how you have found this profession and how you have, you know, what is your why mm -hmm. for coming in here? Your why, not society's mm -hmm. why, not schools why whatever right or forget about all that right like that that you will always have you you learned it but it is this place of your inner knowing you know I call you know when we, I talked about this place when we talk about radicalization but this place of your truth how center that from this place um yeah the rest is just kind of there to augment <laughs> your practice, mm. but this is you and nobody can do it like you. Mm. Um, yeah. And if you do not have this place, you honestly, you might want to consider a different profession. <laughs> right. And then, and I don't say it in a harsh way, but this is not a profession to make money. This is not a profession that you know, and I owe my bias. I really owe my bias because I work from this place, this place from my from my heart. I'm pointing at my chest here. We, I work from this place and I cannot imagine um, not being rooted in this place because if we don't root ourselves in this place, then it is just a means to an end. This yeah. is just how you make money, right? Yeah. And that is a disservice to um, to people to humanity, mm. right? And this goes for not just therapists, but all healers. Mm. Do something else. <laughs> yeah, do something more cognitive. I don't know, go to tech, something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Or marketing. Or marketing. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to be working with humans, right? Please, please humanize. Please remember you're also human, right? Yeah. Do not other, do not other mm. humans, right? You have to be a part of that humanity if you're going to be working with humans. If you don't, then yeah, there are some other professions where you don't have to, right? It's great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Lucrative. Yeah. It's not a place to pad your ego. That's all I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And Shu, where can people find you? Where can people find me? Well, I have a website. Uh, it's just got redone and I love it. Uh, I so love it. So good. I <laughs> just go on 
because yeah. like really i love it too yeah oh thank you oh it's so nice to hear people say i just go on there just for fun yeah i've i've refrained from texting you every time i go on because i texted <laughs> you the first time i saw it and i'm like oh. <laughs> they're probably busy and they yeah. probably don't need to know that you've gone on for like the 50th time please text yep. me <laughs> thank you now i know that's so that's so sweet yeah mm -hmm. so you can find me on my website i'm not on any social media uh i haven't dabbled in that uh, but my website uh artfeelscounseling.com um that is my only internet presence I, I may expand that um, to maybe some social media stuff. Uh, I'm 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 in the process of trying to um, trying to sort of explore the possibility of again healing in a way that isn't isn't psychotherapy, right? Healing. I'm a big video game nerd. And I think yeah. as a medium, it is an extremely healing medium for people, mm. for queer folks, for, you know, mm. that that's where I experimented with gender when I get to create characters that are not, you know, assigned female that are right? yeah. like, I get to kind of do the gender bending stuff there. So I've been thinking of this, uh, thinking about, you know, what would it be like to incorporate, um, therapeutic exploration in interactive media like video games vr mm. um so that might be a thing later on right i know there's some folks who are doing it um with uh uh dun dungeons and uh, yeah dnd there's people do dungeons and dragons and there's yeah. been some paper written about the healing potentials of just playing role-playing games mm. yeah it's play therapy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And an extension yeah. of art therapy, right? There's a, yeah. there's yeah. a lot of creativity there. A lot yeah. of room for you're exploration. You're going into, exactly. You're going into the imaginal realms. Yeah. Right. We are as human beings, very magical, imaginal people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. totally. Totally. We're supposed to be through storytelling, through role-playing, through right archetypes. Yeah. It's always, it's right there in front of us. Yeah. 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 Like sometimes when I'm sad or stressed, I go to my Animal Crossing world and <gasps> I'm like obsessed with my island. I, yes. I love working <laughs> on my island <laughs> as well, but it doesn't feel like work. Oh, um, oh I, I relate. Yeah. I play Stardew Valley where oh uh, I have a farm. Yes. Oh. I just grow some carrots. I, I go yeah. tend to my animals and I go talk to the townspeople. It is so cute. Yes. Yes. So I love that. That might be a component later on. Mm -hmm. So now we need to organize a video game party where we're just doing <laughs> video games to support yes. in relation yes. to justice work obviously yes yes <laughs> how do we build justice through video games oh my <laughs> gosh i would i think there's so much untapped potential there it is incredible and the world of video games and how people who are game developers have always used games you know developing games as you know it is our therapy right like they make this this is their mm. art making process there's games about grief 
Mm. I found out that the other day yeah. there's, this, there's a game where you where it simulates um, where you anyway you get to interact through yeah. game mechanics of moving through grief. I love that. Yeah. Like talk about immersive mm. um, experience exploration, right? Mm. So uh, there's just so much untapped, untapped yes. richness in there. Not in money, but you know, richness and experience. Yeah, yeah, totally. There was that reminds me. I know we're trying to wrap up, but like I, my brain is just going <laughs> off. Like um, there's a game, I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's it's about um, redefining relationship with your father. Oh, um, the whole story arc is based on having lost your father and then mm. going through like a journey. I think it's still like a battle kind of game, an action wow. game, but it's all about mm. building relationship and like understanding yourself through that. Oh, I want that. I, it, I it was it. beautiful. The person who was telling me about it was like, crying when oh, they were wow. sharing their experience at that Whoa. game. Wow. Um, yeah, there's been there's been lots of games like that recently and has mm. had a profound totally. profound impact on you know the player. Like people yeah. we we get really immersed. I are you talk I don't know. I'm trying to think of that what game Abby's talking about. <laughs> I'm just like what's the name of it? I can't remember one of my uh, one of the people that I work with uh shared that as part of our work together actually we actually used it in counseling wow um, that's powerful that's yeah, amazing. i can't remember but if i if i um connect with yeah, this person again i'll let you know mm -hmm. i'm curious Please. yeah there's been so many games like that yeah 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 we need to share some of these games with each other yeah i would love i i would yes i i like abby's idea where we can have a game party <laughs> Like Next have a game party, right? ROJ would be video games. Let's, <laughs> let's games talk together. about games. Let's, <laughs> yes, let's play yes. games. We'll have a live stream on Twitch. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Absolutely. I would be so down for that. <laughs> yes. We'll have a live stream. We're just playing games. Okay. So yeah. Oh, well, that wraps it up, I guess. <sighs> Thank that you so, so much needed. for taking the time and sharing space. I'm so looking forward to all the things coming up where we get mm -hmm. to share more space. Um, I, and again, I can listen to you talk forever. So I know, same. Um, oh my goodness. <laughs> thank you. Oh, yeah, this oh, was so you. nourishing and so wonderful and so many seeds of thought and possibilities. Yeah. Um, just, just generative, so, so generative. So thank you. Thank you, both of you. Thank you, Linda, for finally kind of you know, us creating the space together, bringing me into the space and Abby for creating this space and mm -hmm. having me on and asking me, you know, like those are like some of the most uh, rich questions. And I've been on a few interviews yes. before, but those, I like those questions yes. <laughs> so much. And, and, you know, your, your presence, both of you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So grateful. That was better than any facial I've ever had and I, I, didn't, I don't have much facials but that was like a good whatever that was yeah yeah definitely very very nourishing and I hope those yes. of you who are listening are finding this conversation really nourishing as well um mm -hmm. as always I'll leave all of the ways you can well the one way you can contact you <laughs> in, in the show notes just the um, website and we'll update it when the video games and all of that fun stuff come into fruition. I say mm. when as a 
hopeful, you know, it will be, it it will happen. It will happen. happen. (laughs) Just a matter of when. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's so awesome. Um, and as always, if you'd like to connect with us, feel free to reach out. Our email address is hello at reflectingonjustice.com and you can uh, stay connected to us through our email list as well. Um, you can do that through signing up for our free checklist, which is at reflectingonjustice.com slash checklist, uh, where you also get this free checklist that helps you think of, um, what am I saying? systems of oppression the big six. Oh right 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 that thank you linda um that helps us uh to look at all the areas of oppression what that might look like but also mm-hmm. questions for us to start pondering um where we can tend to our radicalization practice as well so looking forward to connecting thank you so much Sue, for being here and sharing space and sharing your wisdom um thank you linda for facilitating and we'll talk to you all soon thank you Bye. All right, bye. Bye.